open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a phenomenal interview today with Nelson Miner. Uh, he's the head of OTC trading for the Mighty Kraken. Welcome to the podcast, Nelson. Hi, Trace. How you doing? Been uh, listening to your podcast for m- many years now. Um, you know, as the guys on the desk just said, uh, you probably ran out of guests to get me on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't run out of guests. You have to have to dig the bottom of the barrel to find, find the Kraken down there, right? Um, yeah, so so I mean, you came on to Kraken about two years ago. Yep, about two right? years ago. Yeah, at the end of 2017, I started the interview process and started talking to the to to everybody on the team and um, got to meet Jesse and um, you know he made my uh, dreams come true as I say has come to work on uh, uh, on Bitcoin. Nice, you've been enjoying it. I love it's it. It's been fun. I love it. Fun working working at the mighty Kraken. Yeah, it's a lot different than Wall Street, um, and but in a, a lot more fun ways. I mean, the the space is so exciting now. So there's a lot of innovation going on, um, a lot of interesting hurdles that we have to overcome, um, and it's always something new. Every day, it's a it's, it's a new thing. Yeah, in terms of numbers, like when you came on the desk, number of trades versus like now, how, yeah. how we doing? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, recently we had a little bit of a turn down in the, in the amount of numbers that we, we did on a, on, a, on a monthly basis. But from the beginning of 2018, we more than 20x the number of trades we do on a monthly basis. Um, you know, it's it's been incredible the amount of new 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 counterparties that we see on a daily basis. Um, a lot of them are not counterparties that you see every day, but they come in once, twice a month, and they're consistent. You know, they're making trades. They let, they buy it here, sell it there, and uh, you know, trying to take advantage of the volatility that exists. So, are you still the only guy on the team? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. We've we've gone, we, we've grown quite a bit. Um, you know, depending the depending on whether you count all the devs or not. I mean, we're between eighteen and twenty. Wow. Twenty people globally, and, you, and you, you you had the whole thing. Yeah, um, I, I had sales and trading. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have traders all over the all over the world. Um, we have traders in San Fran, Las Vegas, Tokyo, um, Singapore, London. Um, we even got a guy, you know, um, um, in Colombia um, doing some 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 legwork for us down there. So it's a uh, it's 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 exciting. It's a, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of places. So. The desk ever closed? I mean, no, we're twenty four seven. Three sixty five. Three sixty five. You know, Fourth of July, we were sitting there trading. Um, every day that pops up, we're doing. And and how's it looks? People just like ping you on Skype or like send you a Slack message yeah, or like. Yeah, we we well, there's there's pretty much four. Usually it starts off with an email saying, "Listen, you know, I'm, I'm interested in OTC that OTC desk. I want to accumulate this many coins or I want to move this many coins. So I'm trying to flip out of this and get into that." Um, 
so we, we usually starts with an email and then shortly thereafter we usually uh, set them up with either Skype whatsapp um, signal um, uh, telegram uh, we prefer whatsapp and signal just for, for security reasons our security people are a lot more comfortable with those those applications so we usually skew people that, that way and then we talk to them on a daily basis whenever they need to on, on those those apps nice. Okay, so so running a pretty pretty good sized team, twenty people. What'd you do before that gives you some experience to be able to get this done? Yeah, I, I started my career as an engineer, but then I quickly switched over to Wall Street, and I was a, an emerging market bond trader for for twenty years. Um, I started off in the CDS uh, side of the business, but in, credit default swaps, credit default yeah. swaps, which you know I tell everybody it feels very much like the space feels today in in, in crypto. Where you have this new asset class and you're starting off, you know, with a, there's nothing that's, that's, that's synchronized. Um, everything is kind of new and you're kind of working your way through it. And then the amount of trades keeps building and building and building and more and more people are talking about it. And, 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 you know, it's becoming, um, it's starting to kind of spill over into the traditional financial markets. And that's, that's, that's what I'm seeing now. You know, you see what's going on with backed, um, and you're starting to see the traditional players slowly, very slowly, a lot slowly, slower than a lot of us want or felt that would, would happen, <clears throat> but it's coming. And, uh, CDS at that point in the late nineties, um, felt very much like Bitcoin crypto feels today. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a grizzled old veteran in this space. I got some yeah, scars here and there. Uh, I bet you've got some stories to tell. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. mean, emerging market CDSs during 07, 08. Oh. In your kind of probably peak your career by then. Yeah, I, I was actually at the time. I, I won't mention the firm, but I was. I had the job that I've always wanted, and a lot of us in in on, on the sell side wanted, which was to go over to the buy side, but not just any hedge fund job. It was a commercial bank. And in a commercial bank, you pretty much had these prop shops that popped up on all of them and all the commercial banks. And it was like, you know, these guys that sat in this glass fishbowl and they had all the capital from the firm at access to it and LIBOR fund flat funding, which was a real big <laughs> advantage. Right. You give. OK, wait a minute. Let me get this right. You're going to let me borrow your money, use it, um, put these trades on. And if we make money, we get 20% of that and get to divvy it up amongst the boys. Yes, that's how it worked. And, you know, we, we did very well. But then the financial crisis came on and I saw, you know, I saw guys lose a lot, a lot of money. And particularly like loan books. Because these things, people forget that loans, if you saw a loan trade under 98, it was like, wow, this thing must be ready to collapse. It's traded 2% down. Like that didn't exist. And then you had loans, these high quality loans trading in the 70s. Seventies in the seventies. In and, what type of time frame? Oh, in, in a blink. It was like a three to four month period. You saw loans that historically traded ninety eight to one hundred one forever. All of a sudden, gap down to the low nineties, and then boom. Then you had some of these loans that just collapsed. And these some of these books had billions of these loans on. And I mean, to billions, see those guys, billions or tens of billions or hundreds of billions. I mean, how many billions? No, I mean, some had hundreds of billions on. You know, hundreds of billions yeah, yeah. of dollars gapping down, gapping 20 down. Yeah, in the whole book, in the whole entire loan books. Yeah, yeah, some of these, some of these commercial banks had that many. And uh, you know, you saw these guys that you know were veterans, veterans of the loan world, didn't believe what was going on. 
and these guys that were, you know, masters of the universe one day and total schmucks because they're losing billions. Tens uh, of billions, thing, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. It was ugly. It was it was pretty ugly. Um, you know, and then, you know, it's, it's the, the old saying, you can, you know, <clears throat> the market could stay irrational a lot longer than you could stay liquid. And uh, so they end up selling some. But fortunately, you know, the you know, uh, a lot of a lot of help came in and we ended up keeping a lot of those loans and they came back. But the damage was already done. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, w- it was tough to come back from, but that was, those were days where, you know, where I saw guys that were in the business e- even longer than I was, um, and in, um, very experienced individuals, um, see things that never happened before. And I think it makes me a little bit gun shy now. Like, you know, we, we put on some positions here and there and we feel like they're going to converge, but, you know, and, and it seems like no brainer trade sometimes. But I always tell guys here, especially some of the younger guys, some of the younger traders, like you can't never, you know, the market could be a lot irrational for a long time and it could take you to the hospital. So you got to you got to be careful. You got to be careful. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes they, they, and you look because most of the time the market does rationalize this back, itself back. And a guy like me that's being, you know, the, the, the Debbie Downer on these trades because I'm worried about it. Yeah. But it's that one time that takes you out that you that uh that matters more than this those sometimes you're picking up nickels in front of a The steamroller 100 percent. yeah it just could get brutal yeah for sure and it was ugly i mean it was it was uh there's a lot of stories back then but being in that fishbowl and seeing guys you know take billions of dollars of losses that's days i'll never forget wow you made out like a bandit on some of them, though, right? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, I had a couple of good years there. You kind of, um, you kind of foresaw some of the yeah, potential problems and yeah, properly one, hedged to get some of them. One of the things I did was some of the things were trading um, irrationally tight before the crisis, and we were very fortunate, at, at least in my portfolio. I, I ran the emerging markets portfolio. Um, we were very fortunate to buy a lot of a lot of Mexico protection. Which was trading at the time under 150 basis points, and during the midst of the crisis, it shot up to 800 basis Holy points. Holy cow! So you know we had a lot of it on, and it's like uh, a five X, huh? Yeah, and uh, you know that that saved us because we had a lot of some of the positions were liquid, and you know you couldn't find a, a bid with a flashlight during that period. You know you you call somebody <laughs> up and say you're, you're you you know can you buy this from me? They you hear a laugh, just like that on the other side. Are you kidding me? How about this other stuff I got on the books? Can you buy any of that? <laughs> um, and that's the situation is when when you making those calls, and you get giggles on the other side because guys are just over, you know they're in over the heads. Um, there's just nowhere to go, and some of these liquid positions. So having liquid positions, that's why liquidity has. If, if there's one thing that the financial crisis has changed in people's mentality is is how important liquidity is, and I think you see that in the repo markets today and how jittery they are. Um, people value liquidity more than they had in years gone, gone by. I mean, the financial crisis really put a spotlight on that. And uh, and I remember those days where you know there were there were names that um, you know were in favor one day because they offered a little bit more yield, and then all of a sudden that little yield became a lot of yield, and then people didn't want them anymore. They want nothing to do with them. Um, and you know, I think that in itself. This encapsulates how what what happened in the financial crisis. It was just a search for liquidity and how it all disappeared. I mean, that's what happened with Bear Stearns, right? They just ran out of places where they could borrow, mm-hmm. and ultimately, that's what happened to Lehman as well. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at my my book, uh, The Great Credit Contraction, mm-hmm. published, you know, uh, January 2009, same week as Bitcoin got released, and the liquidity pyramid in there where, you know, it, capital burrows down the liquidity pyramid into the safer and more liquid assets. Yeah. And, of course, I have gold at the tip of the pyramid. Uh, it seems that people are still searching for liquidity. Maybe that's why interest rates are doing what they're doing. People are, you know, burrowing into that stuff in order to be safe uh, and liquid. Uh, but, you know what, we got a problem there because those things aren't limited in amount, right? They're not very hard. They're not, yeah. it, it's not very hard. It's easy to make more of them as people use those for uh, and, and increase the monetary premium that's there. So, like, where's Bitcoin fitting or going to fit on this liquidity pyramid, in well, your opinion? Like, Where's where yeah. it going to go? Well, I think I think ultimately it'd be up there with gold. Um, Why is that? I mean, like, can you get a bid for twenty billion dollars of gold? <laughs> can you can you give? I mean, I'm, it must trade all the time in, in, I mean, in markets. I mean, we have yeah, we have billions of dollars yeah, of the trade all, every day, all the right? Time, all the time, and I think that the same thing that happened to Bitcoin. I mean, we just you know. The thing about Bitcoin that I've come to the conclusion on is that the adoption is going to take a lot longer than we all think. And I think a, a, a reason for that, at least with me, is that, you know, when you when you learn about Bitcoin and you spend the time, you know, a lot of us whiff the first time. We're like, oh, what is this thing? No, no way. You know, <laughs> magic Internet. Money. <laughs> magic Internet. And for me, you know, I even had a smart guy teaching me about it. And, uh, and, you know, at the end of it, you know, I came to a conclusion that governments weren't going to let this exist. I think we're past that now. Um, but, but I, <laughs> I'm not, but I'm I whiffed. Yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I whiffed on that first time around. And then the next time around, I did the work on it. And, you know, I spent a lot of time digging into it. And then, then all of a sudden you get this, all these things kind of come together and, and they, they formulate in your mind. And you're like, Oh my God, this is, this is something that's real. It's important. And I think it's going to be around a long time. It's going to help a lot of people. Um, but that process is not, it's a hard process, pun intended. Um, it's a hard process to figure out this hard money. And um, and because you've done the work and you get this epiphany and you say, oh, my God, this is the future, you think everybody's going to come in it. So you rush out and you buy as much as possible of it. Well, and you yeah. better have some position <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> instead of nothing, right? Exactly. And, you, and you're just looking in the rear room mirror because... You know the crowd's coming, and you keep looking in the room in the mirror, and they, they haven't come yet. Where are they at? <laughs> Where are they at? So, and and I think especially now, and I thought institutions would be in this in a lot bigger way than they are. You know, you hear that some hedge funds, some maverick hedge funds, are starting to get involved, and they are, but it's still nowhere near the tsunami money that exists out there to to be in this. So, so just coming around to answer the question is just like. I just think that you f- get a sense that everybody should be coming into it because you figure this thing out and you say that, wow, this is something that's important and real. And you think that everybody's going to catch on this soon. And the adoption is going to take a lot longer than people think, particularly me, that I thought. But when it happens, it's going to be one of those things that we none of us saw coming. Even though we've been talking about it forever, we didn't see coming and it's going to happen in a blink. And it might not happen this, this happening Probably happen maybe the next or something like that, somewhere along the line. Well, st- stock to flow ratio yeah. says million dollar Bitcoin after yeah. next happens, yeah. after two happenings. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, although, although the math is undeniable on stock to flow, you know how I feel about stock to flow. But I just think <laughs> that people have to have an understanding of it before investing in it to drive the price the way it does.
So I, I like a term that you coined. Huh. You know, we talk about it at dinner. Bitcoin, the great educator. For sure. Uh, yeah. How how's it how's it educating people? I mean, you say say so many things, but I mean, we're talking multidisciplinary. Like, yeah, how's it educating people? Yeah, I mean, just to take it from my my, I mean, I was on Wall Street for twenty years, and I had heard about Austrian economics. But did I understand? And I did bonds. Like all we did was talk about monetary policy and interest rates, and to to have that you know those blinders on and not see another way of looking at uh, monetary policy, and you know how people how governments manage money. Um, you you looking back on it, I feel like what a dimwit. You know how did I see this? Like and. You know, so you start learning about Austrian economics and you realize that there's a whole discipline there and it's deep PhD level stuff that, you know, you scratch the surface and learn about it, kind of learn the general stuff. But there are so many disciplines like that. You know, when learning about Bitcoin, I really want to learn a little bit about encryption, know what SHA-256 was and how it works. Right. And why is it that it's so difficult to go backwards on on, on SHA-256 or, you know, lift the curves and doing the math. And figuring out, oh, okay, you can go this way, but trying to go backwards, there's no, there's no way, real way of doing it. They haven't figured it out yet. So you go through all these things. So there's math, there's encryption, there's you know economics, and you know Th- thermodynamics, thermodynamics, all these Computer things. Computer networking, that, exactly. Protocol, all, yeah, exactly. Um, all these things that you know you can learn about and go deep into. You know, I even looked at the code. Not, not that I could write the code, but I read enough about it. Say, okay, this uh, this seems to do this, or seems to do that, but. You know, you look at it and say, okay, and then you try to figure out the areas that you you are most concerned with. Like, how do we make sure that there's only 21 million? Because that's the most important number in this whole gig is 21 million. How do we make sure? And you look at the code and you do this and look at what a node does and, and, and you do all those things. And but when it's all said and done, if you really want to understand this, and none of us understand it fully, and I'm never going to understand it fully. I am just don't, don't have the IQ points for it, but I try as hard. And I and I put my money where my mouth is. But and, and the more you learn about Bitcoin, the more you realize you don't understand hardly anything about it either. <laughs> exactly. It's like just so many facets to it. You know, you hear every day you listen to another podcast and somebody's got another angle. And you're like, wow, that's pretty bright. But it doesn't make all the other angles that we looked at Bitcoin in the past any less bright. Right. It's just how powerful this thing is. So that's why I say it's the great educator, because it forces you, if you really want to understand it, and you really care about it, and you're putting your skin in the game. If you're prudent, you're going to do the work, and that work requires you learning a lot of different disciplines that are that are interesting, and um, and part of it to to get your answer on why you're in this thing and why is it important. So that's why I call it the great educator. So I've coined hardware last resort. Yes, you have. How important this knowledge. And in terms of like providing conviction to become a hodler of last resort, because I mean, you, you saw, you saw a liquidity crisis. Yes, you know, and there's no there's no way, as Misa says, to avoid the final crack up boom. Uh, is fiat <laughs> currency the bubble? Is Bitcoin the pen? Is that the final crack up boom? Uh, what? How important is a hodler of last resort when we're in an era where? Where money and riches and things like this just become so slippery, trading at ninety eight, trading in the seventies, just boom, hadn't seen it your entire life, right? Yeah, I, I you know, I these guys, you know, forgot more about the stuff than I'll ever know. But to me, the way adoption is happening 
and the way people are learning about it. This is a process. And this idea that all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the fiat money is going to be gone and we're going to pop this credit bubble and this thing. This is all going in our direction. And I think Bitcoin is going to be the leaders, the Pied Piper for all these uh, institutions, these uh, the populace to understand what's really going on. You know, how many people really understand that when they get that dollar, and maybe in some ways they do, right? Because they probably rush out to go spend it because it's going to be worth less later like they do in Venezuela, right? <laughs> but, you know, you start when you learn about Bitcoin and you really understand that you realize that your money's getting debased every day, right? So, and it's getting debased at a rate that you're probably not happy with or, you know, understand. And it's getting debased in a method that you have no control over. Okay, so you don't like that war, but it doesn't matter because they're going to print those dollars anyways. Yeah, the emission schedule is unknown. It's decided behind closed doors. It's And it seems to be accelerating. <laughs> yeah. Q, you know? Q, QE forever, right? QE forever. And, and it's not just QE here in the U.S., but it's QE over in Europe, Japan. Like, you know, the, the money's getting printed all the time. And, and, you know, that money, that dollar in your pocket is getting, it's worth less. So, you know, so that why, opens why, eyes. why hold that? Well, that's why a lot of us spend a lot of put a lot of our wealth in, in Bitcoin. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you end up doing it like uh, for me, I always I like New York real estate, even though lately it, has, it hasn't been a good trade. But I've always thought New York real estate because, you know, I, I see what's going on. I see like the, in, in my building, for instance, I, I realize that there's money from us. There, there's, there's apartments in my building that no one's in there because people park their money in it. So the so the real estate's got monetary premium to it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Especially from especially from especially from those outside of the country. Um, you know, there's at, at least two two apartments in my building that I know of that are Chinese nationals that came in and, and bought the, the apartments in there. Have I seen them? No, I've never met them. Um, so you see that there's 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 that type of 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 effort to preserve your wealth how, how long can you can you hold bitcoin versus holding a piece of real estate you got carrying costs with the real estate right oh, for sure for sure i mean these people are paying new york taxes um and they're not cheap new york property taxes in new york city are not cheap property tax hoa for sure insurance maintenance on the apartments you got to have somebody check in on it every so often you're not living on it i mean it's it adds up it adds up pretty fast so yeah, I mean it's uh you know somebody's better be making an income to keep those apartments going, um, but Bitcoin doesn't need that. <laughs> so you know, so Bit Bitcoin. so Bitcoin enables the the storage of wealth at a much cheaper cost For relative sure. to pretty much every other alternative out there: art, real estate, even land, gold. even gold, even gold, even gold, and gold's pretty cheap, right? Because you just got to store it. Yeah. When we're looking at financialization of Bitcoin, you know, because if Wall Street's going to get involved, we, we kind of have to financialize it. And that's the six network effect, mm -hmm. you know, in my thesis. Where do you think we're at in that? Very how, early. How long is it going to take? Like, I mean, how, how do you see that playing out? That's a great question, Trace. And I, and I, and I think it's, uh, again, that, that same thesis about it's going to take longer than we think, um, you know, you look at the repo markets in the U.S. and the collateral and the GC collateral, general collateral, um, and the infrastructure that's there. That's where you want Bitcoin kind of stepping into. 
you want it to be general collateral. So if you're a bank, you need an overnight loan, you can put up your Bitcoin and secure that overnight loan. We are probably decades away from that, I think. Decades? I do. I think it's going to take a long time because I think there's going to be pushback from it. And, you know, I think that movement's got to start with the, the people. Yeah, but you got say you got a million dollar Bitcoin price in 2025. <laughs> yeah. Um, 20 trillion dollar market cap, bigger than the dollar, the Chinese yuan. Then maybe to expedite that. I mean, that's a pretty aggressive price target. I mean. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, we're looking at this is correlated, co-integrated data based on billions of people's individual oh, trading B. decisions. Plan B, here it is. <laughs> well, well plan, B, plan B gives out the mathematical model. You know, however, I give out this seven network effect thesis and Safeting brings the the Austrian school thinking to it in a refined way. And and one thing that that I think we get out of the data is that data is the result of billions of individual decisions being being made Mm -hmm. by by people. So, you know, why? Why do we think we might have superior knowledge to the price discovery that's happened with billions of, of individual trades? Yeah, I just think that it's going to take a. I think it's going to take a long time for you know that to permeate through a lot of. I mean, how many central bankers you know are thinking about Bitcoin in these terms? They're scared of it. They're scared of it, but they're not embracing it. It's going to take time, and it might take them to die off. Like, I mean, you don't see people over sixty-five investing in Bitcoin. It's the millennials that are that are taking this and buying it. They understand it. They feel more comfortable with it. They're they're the ones that were Zuccotti Park during the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. They're the young people that are like, you know what, states, banks, you're not doing us right. So, you know, those are the guys that are embracing Bitcoin, not the Warren Buffetts of the world that are, you know, zillionaires and and and, and they're not doing, they're going to they're have to die off, and that money transfer is going to have to be replaced, and that's going to take time for that to happen, and for people with open minds, people that embrace technology. To get in these positions that you can actually create an infrastructure around that's going to let Bitcoin become part of the establishment. And I just think that's going to take time. And you say a million dollar Bitcoin, but a million dollar Bitcoin, that's a pretty tough thing. I mean, it, it, you say 2025, so we're printing out six and a quarter Bitcoin every every 10 minutes. That's six and a quarter million dollars every 10 minutes that you're going to have to create a new demand every 10 minutes to keep that at a million dollar price. We're a long way from that, Trace. I just, I understand. I, I mean, the money faucets are on. Everything that you look at, there's a lot of things that we can talk about that's prime for Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin's ready to go. But to take it to the next level where all of a sudden that your Bitcoin is, uh, you, you, um, you know, where you have portfolio managers deciding, hey, I'm going to, Buy Bitcoin instead of this 30-year treasury because this 30-year treasury is yielding negative rates. I just don't – that comparison to we get to that point where we have <coughs> Bitcoin battling treasuries for a store of value, I think we're a long way away from that. So even with <coughs> – excuse me. Even with uh, CME futures and backed physically settled futures and places like Ledger Racks and uh, custodians that are coming on the scene and uh, banks in Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, the sharp ratio on Bitcoin. I mean, yeah, it's, if unco- it's uncorrelated. It's got fantastic returns. 
It's scarce. If you do the work, you realize it's scarce. It should be the, it's the holy grail portfolio management. It should be in everybody's pension fund. But it's not there yet. And we have backed. And backed, without, how long did we know back was coming? I mean, you know. <laughs> they like, made announcements before I, the announcements. Exactly. <laughs> we, knew, we, we knew from way back that back was coming. And yet, and yet, it's, it's yet, what is it trading? Like 100 Bitcoin a day? The guy, you know, the guy that you just walked by just traded, five minutes ago, traded 200 lot, lot side of Bitcoin. Right? I mean, and it's trading 100. I got one guy here trading, you know, a few minutes ago, more than a batch is doing all day. And, you know, and here's New York Stock Exchange. Like, these guys are connected like a freight train, these back guys. Oh, and they yeah. don't have all these institutions coming in just yet. Now, are they going to come in? That rail is there. That line is going to get used. And we're going to see back flows increase slowly but surely. You can mark my words on that. But it's going to take time. And that's, you know, I, I think that's, it's funny. We kind of created a theme here. But the theme is that adoption is going to take a lot longer than a lot of us believe it's going to because we feel so strongly about it. We're in it. We believe in it. But that that those kernels of adoption, those it's, it's going to happen one person at a time. And it's and, and yeah, it'll one day there'll be a flick of a switch and we'll all be like, oh, my God, look what's going on. We're all going to be high fiving. All these things are going to happen. But for it to become part of the financial system here in the U.S., we got some wood to chop. Is it is it malpractice for these money managers to not have Bitcoin in their portfolios based on the sharp ratios, based on the legal environments, based on the uh, the the custodian solutions and stuff like that? If you knew, why, why if, not have some? If you it, and it I were portfolio, if you and I were portfolio managers and know what we know about Bitcoin, it would be malpractice. Well, I mean, I'm looking at a reasonably prudent money manager, you know, at one of these pension funds or or, or other, you know, where where you're supposed to be finding like good, safe investments yeah. uh, for these returns. Like just a reasonably prudent money manager. It's been around over ten years. Why don't you, Why didn't you have any in your portfolio? Let, let's talk about one of these money managers, right? So you're a portfolio manager. You probably at least 15 years at your firm, or maybe you got hired as an analyst from another firm, you got poached or whatever, but you're in it a good 15 years. The average portfolio manager has been around for a while, especially at these big, high-powered portfolio managers. You went off, got a great degree from one of these fancy colleges, got an MBA, did your you know CFA, took the three levels of CFA, killed yourself for over doing it. You spent working for guys you probably didn't like, Every day, coming in, doing analyses on, on on all kinds of things, and you spent and you did, paid your dues. You got your series license. Now you're up in Westchester. You got a nice house. You you become portfolio manager. You want to keep what you got. Your kids are off to school. You want to do it. They're not going to rock the boat with this fake internet money. They're not going to do it until somebody else does or somebody else. There's got to be some average. That's why I think Fidelity is one of the most important firms, if not the most important firm, that we have in this in this ecosystem, because you got legit like top of the uh, top of the <laughs> top of the heat <laughs> top of the heat money manager following this and they got a lot of smart people working on it and once they start realizing the returns and they start and their competition starts to wake up that's when they'll start laying it but they're laying the groundwork for that these other guys they don't they don't have the the chops to get involved in it right and and, and don't get it twisted 
I mean, she, you know, she's a big owner of the company. Mm-hmm. You know, if she was, you know, if she had another boss, she is the boss. She owns the place. She has another boss that she probably wouldn't be doing what she's doing. All, all due respect. Isn't that interesting? Johnson. Isn't that interesting that how she's voting with her money? Yeah, she is. She is, and she's putting the firm reputation. That's where it takes gall because, you know, she's got a pretty nice gig on, right? And I'm sure she's not putting a lot. Maybe she's putting a few basis points on, on people's portfolios of this thing. Yeah. So not enough where they, they might notice if it went to zero. But if it goes up, it doesn't take a lot when you go, when you when you got a 20x move to, 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 <laughs> to move a portfolio your way. So, and I think that's what she's banking on, and I think she's going to hit a home run. And, she, you know, and, uh, and I think that's going to, she's, she's leading the way of bringing all these other portfolio managers in that just don't have, they're not in a position to do what she's done. Uh, how, how about, you know, before we, before we wind yeah. up, what's it look like uh, at the Kraken OTC desk? You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, communicating via signal and stuff with customers. Um, what, what's it look like? How, how, how do new customers come? Like, why, why would they use the OTC desk? Yeah, you sure. Know, let's talk the book a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so our primary customers are, you know, um, family offices, high net worth individuals, OGs come in a lot. Um, those are the pretty much the core. Um, and they come in when they say, hey, listen, I want to buy this house I've been looking at. Can I sell a couple hundred Bitcoin or whatever? Um, and what we'll do is because we're hooked up on all the exchanges, we see flows both ways every day. We have axe positions where, you know, we were usually running some position one way or the other. So if you come in, we happen to be buying when you're selling, you're going to get a great bid from us. And we're going to get you executed much better than you would if you were in a single exchange. And, you know, you're, you, you're getting white glove service and you're going to get your money and you know that we're wired to you wherever you want it. And and uh, in a simple way, and we hold your hand right through the process and everything's everybody's happy about it. So we focus on those clients that are, you know, trading every once in a while and don't need to have all the infrastructure set up. They trust us. They come to us. Um, we get them a good price. They walk away pretty happy. That's, that's, that's what it pretty much is. You know, your your desk has been growing. Some of these other OTC desks have been shrinking. Yeah. Like, why is that? Well, I, I think a big part of it is, um, uh, you know, frankly, the exchange. I mean, we leverage off the exchange quite a bit. And Kraken's doing a, a great job of marketing and, you know, securing people's assets and, um, you know, uh, customer service has been, you know, doing very, very well. Um, and that's what we pride on ourselves on. I think we spend a lot of time making sure that customers walk away happy. And, and when customers come to us, they don't leave. You know, we've had very rare occasions where, you know, people say, hey, crack an OTC is the worst and then end up going somewhere else. Um, we go the extra mile and we got a bunch of great guys that are good traders, seasoned guys. Um, that hold people's hands all the way through the process, make sure people leave happy and do the right thing. You know, we're not in it for one trade. We're in it for the next thousand trades. We're not trying to make a career off of one trade. So, and I think that philosophy kind of, kind of helps. Like we, we, you know, and, and obviously the exchange is a big marketing for us. And I think that's what differentiates us. I think service and the fact that we got the Kraken brand behind us. And you're trading all the assets that are listed on Kraken? All the assets that are listed on Kraken. Sometimes we might, 99.5% of our, 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 our trades are with the stuff that happens. Occasionally we help out. Uh, we had a, a couple of clients that were interested in Grin, and Grin's not an easy thing to kind of move around, but we Grin. helped them out with it. Um, so 
How about other know. stuff like tethers? Well, we 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 do some tether. We do, 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 yeah. do some tether flow. Yeah, yeah. We do some tether flow. Um, people usually using tether to get in and out of uh, uh, positions. Um, but yeah, we do some of that as well. Nice. Uh, anything else we should mention? Like uh, uh, I, I, I miss anything? <laughs> no, I mean we're we're trying to expand in areas of particular in Asia. Um, you know, the, the the exchange itself is doing a, a, making pushes to get the right licenses in Asia. I think there's a big opportunity out there for us. And that's where we kind of been focusing on, um, you know, trying to get more Asian flow. Uh, besides that, I, I, you know, it's business as usual, um, you know, making sure that clients walk away with a good experience from us and so they can come back. A uh, little bit bigger picture. What, what are you most optimistic about with Bitcoin? I'm optimistic about so much. And it's not just the price. I think, I think is you know, I... I'm from Latin America, and uh, I traded Latin America for most of my career. And, you know, you can look at Latin America and its history with governments and all the corruption that's gone on. So when you ask me what with Bitcoin I'm most optimistic about, is I'm most optimistic in giving people back control over their own wealth. And... You know, take Venezuela for an example. Also, you know, I traded a lot of Venezuela bonds in my career. And I spent a lot of time down there. I used to go over once, twice a year. And to see what was once the richest country in Latin America in the last several decades go from the richest to the poorest. It's sad. And it's it's, it's horrible. And see families destroyed <coughs> or separated because they've had a migrate to Chile, try to get into the U.S., you know, start working restaurants in Ecuador, whatever they've had to do to get out of there um, to, to support their families um, and to give people back so their their money is not the base from when I first started going there it was one dollar gave you two bolivars. Now it gives you over a quarter million. Of <laughs> it's out of control. And to unbelievable. Give pe- unbelievable. And to give people back control over their own wealth, their time. Um, I think that's going to be very powerful. And it's going to help a lot of millions and millions of people. And I, it's, I, I hate that so many people have their head in the sand over this thing, but it's it's going to come out and it's going to start with the people. This is a people's movement and it's going to start there. And and once people start to figure out that that they could do that and once you see a little vol- volatility kind of hurts Bitcoin right now. But once we get to a higher level and we could see that this can actually help people, um, I think that's what's going to be. That's what I'm most optimistic about that I think is going to is going to curtail a lot of the corruption lot of the stealing on the back of backs of the people yeah so we're talking property rights yes you know so important for building a civilized society and lifting people out of prop uh poverty and you know individuals have to claim their monetary sovereignty yeah right to get this done uh proof of keys what do you think of that i think it's great i think once you know once we get financialization of bitcoin and things like that this is gonna you know be shaking people's yeah, cages every, yeah, abso- every year. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how much, you know, how much rehypothecation is done on, on all these assets that shouldn't be like, you know, you're doing by, you know, and, and, and you have fiduciary responsibility. Okay. I own these assets. If I lend them out to someone, um, you know, they're going to use them to short them probably, but I get some interest back. I'm going to own them anyways. As, as a money manager, you're fiduciary responsible to, to lend it out. The problem is that they keep lending them out, and they lend them out, and they lend them out. 
and then it gets lost. In no one who knows who owns what. Yeah, everybody thinks they got some, but you know, everybody thinks that they got you know it's a slice pizza, but you know there's twelve slices running around. Um, Possessions nine tenths of the rule. Exactly. When, when you come from a big family, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Who's got the food on their plate? Exactly. Who's got it in their mouth? <laughs> um, but but that that'll be shaken. I think Bitcoin will be. Um, uh, it'll be uh, one of those assets that's going to revolutionize um, not just people's personal wealth, but the industries as a whole, financial industry as a whole. And I think proof of keys and and making sure that you get physical delivery when you need it is going to change the way people look at assets. Well, nice. We've had uh, just a great interview with Nelson Miner, head of OTC trading at the Mighty Kraken Exchange. Uh, Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, Trace. Big fan for a long time. to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. 